Hey guys, it's Q&A Tuesday. Gonna dive into a question from another young fan. Hi, I'm a newcomer to the channel, but I can't stop watching your videos. Keep up the good work. Also, I'm only 16. I fall in love with watches and I'm currently doing small jobs to save up for a nice watch. I think I want to buy an Oyster Perpetual 41 millimeters. What do you think? Also, one more question. What do you think of the watch brand Roger Dewey? Because my father gave one to my brother. Reference RDD BSE0194. He's older than me, so I guess that's fair. Well, real quick about Roger Dubuis, I've done multiple videos on Roger Dubuis and I do think highly of the brand. I think this is a brand that's on a come up, so to speak. I think it's here to stay and it, as long as they continue making the complicated, innovative and high quality pieces that they have been making over the last few years. So that's all I'm going to say about Roger Dubuis. I'll ask Ian to link a few of the videos that I've done on Roger Dubuis. Check those out if you haven't done so already. But the reason I wanted to answer this question is to simply tell you that I know you're saving up for a watch and being 16 years old, it seems like, oh, wait a minute, I can work a couple of years and I can probably save myself up for a watch. My suggestion is going to be to you, if you guys have been watching my videos and you have been watching my videos, you know that my son bought himself a Rolex uh, Samaritan at the age of 16. But my son decided to make that purchase based on his overall net worth of how much money he has made thus far in order to allow himself to buy a luxury item such as a watch. I don't recommend you going out there and saying, well, you know what, I just saved $10,000. I'm going to take that $10,000 and spend it on a watch and have $0. In the very least, consider how much that purchase is going to take away your overall net worth. So if you're out there working and working hard to try to make a little bit of money, don't allow your first money that's saved up to go towards a purchase of a watch. Have a little bit of a cushion, I should say. What do I think is reasonable? If you're buying a watch, let's say for $8,000, in the very least, I would think that post the purchase of the watch, you should have at least maybe $20,000. I know you're a young kid, you're probably going to go into college and your parents obviously still support you because you live with them, which is perfectly fine. But don't go out there, start from $0, make eight grand, and go spend it on a watch. That, that's the one suggestion I'm going to make. I do like your choice, but it doesn't really matter again. I'm sure that whatever you choose is going to be something you like regardless, and this is what I always say. Here's a good one from Emmanuel, and he writes, uh, Roman, first of all, Happy New Year. Thank you, and Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, I hope you and your family stay healthy in 2021 and beyond. I sincerely hope so too. Do you use any database or specific sources to track watch prices over time? Are you using any knowledge database regarding production numbers and watch specification or maybe even sales? The reason I ask is I know many other industries have extensive databases to track products. When looking at cars, there's information about product production numbers, sales numbers, specification, new and used prices, etc that companies can buy to plan their business. Are you aware of something like that in the horology world? Love your show, keep up the work, best regards, Emmanuel. Mm. Yes and no. There's a company called Chronify that was actually started by a good friend of mine named Joe, and it was meant to be that buyer's guide, right, for, let's say, watch stores that wanna take in trades, for watch dealers that wanna buy and sell watches, but it heavily relied on him calling up guys like me that have been in the industry for a while, saying, hey, what's this go for? Hey, what's that go for? And slowly but surely, they sort of put up this database that was based on condition of the watch, how complete it is, and it was a, it was a range. Chronify then was bought over by Watchbox due to the fact that it had a lot of members and these were all watch people that are either looking to buy or sell watches. So ultimately ended up being the ultimate marketing tool to buy watches. So if you have, if you own an app or if you own a database that says, hey, here's the value of your watches and somebody logs on there, you can automatically try and buy that watch at a price that you set forth, which is a little bit biased if you think about it. If I'm out there putting out a database that shows you uh, watch prices, for example, right? And at the same time, I'm trying to buy those watches. 
I can control that information, if you will, in my favor. But in reality, there is no such thing as a database. And even if you do come up with one, the watch market moves so fast. It changes sometimes by the minute, by the hour, especially nowadays with the crazy market we're in now. Rolex prices, AP prices, they all seem to go up down by the hour. It's a very, very volatile market. What you're asking me is that, oh, is there a database right now for buying stocks, right? And obviously, the obvious answer is going to be no. There's new stocks that come out every day. There's stocks that get delisted. There's stocks that go up. They go down. Prices change. Uh, outside influences change those prices. And that's kind of how you can look at watches as well. Now, granted, I'm sure there's plenty of books out there. There's plenty of uh, databases out there that talk about stocks, maybe the blue chips and some of the older stocks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in a nutshell, it's still not exact science. It's more of a reference point. What makes it worse for the watch industry is that the watch industry sort of has that line that separates authorized dealers from gray market dealers, right? And the two don't talk to each other. So if I were to put together sales data, uh, for it to be complete, I would want sales data both from the authorized end as well as the gray market end. Then you have new versus used, and you have vintage. In layman's terms, there's just so many things out there that if I were to put an entry in a database, say, well, this is the watch, the difference between the low and the high would be so large that it would just be useless as far as I'm thinking. What do we use? I'm sure like every other company out there, we analyze the data that we have. So in fact, I'm finishing out last year and I'm looking at a humongous spreadsheet right now. This is humongous. That literally breaks everything down by brand, by SKU, and that tells me my sales velocity throughout the year, shows me my stock levels, it shows me my cost basis, shows me what the margins are. I, I then compared that against costs because it costs a lot more money to sell something on Amazon and eBay versus my own website. So those are the various things that I look at and that's the data that I analyze. That's my database. Now my database goes back about, I'm not gonna say 18 years because I didn't really keep such great books when I was first starting out, especially when I was doing this stuff part-time, but I have a solid 12 years of data to go back on that will help me decide in purchasing that will help me decide in what product I need to dump and not buy ever again. But even that changes from year to year, right? If I look at my database uh, going back to 2007 when 5960 paddocks were flying out the window, that would not necessarily relate to today because today that's quote-unquote a dog watch. Same goes with 5036 paddocks. Our database is our experience, and it's our experience in the current market that we are in. If you ask me the same 10 questions in terms of values, in terms of what I would buy and not buy, Two years ago, those answers are going to be completely different today, and they will be completely different two years from now. So our buy plan consists of first and foremost budget, right? Because you can quickly run out of money in my business. I always tell people the joke is that I'm super rich on Monday and I'm flat broke on Fridays, right? Sometimes that happens from Monday morning to Monday evening. So there's no rhyme or reason to what's offered, what's out there, what is the opportunity to buy, because this is not a steady stock supply like you would have with, let's say, a factory that manufactures something and it needs raw goods, right? Uh, not something you can plan ahead for. But for the most part, the database is here. The database is here. It's in all my salespeople's slash buyers' heads. It's in all my jewelry buyers' head. It's years and years experience and staying afloat with the market. And it's not like we're out there studying the market all day long and pricing stuff out. And look, it's, it's just trading. As you trade, you tend to get experience, much like stockbrokers that, let's say, trade commodities, or they may trade something else, or they may trade penny stocks, whatever they might do. If they do that on a daily basis, that data is in their head because they watch it daily, hourly, and by the minute, and therefore creating that virtual database inside their head that I would simply call experience. So I hope that answers your question. Next question is from another young fan uh, by the name of Pedro. And Pedro writes, first of all, I wish that you and your family are doing well during these tough times. Thank you. 
I also want to congratulate and thank you for the awesome content that you bring to the channel. I've been watching your videos for a pretty long time and I can't describe how much I have learned with you this year. I am 16 years old who is looking to purchase my first important watch this year. For now, I have a few options varying from pre-owned to new and worn. My options now are the Grand Seiko Snowflake, the Rolex Explorer 2 Polar Dial, the classic Rolex Samaritan Date uh, 124-300, a Mega Seamaster Aquaterra World Timer, the 220-1043220-3001, and try to say that fast five times, I make a Seamaster Aquaterra 220-224-102001, and lastly, but definitely not least, I make a Speedmaster 310-3042-500-10001. I feel like the Micro Machines commercial. The Micro Machine Man here presenting the genuine original, classically collectible, most midget miniature replicas of the real things, Micro Machines. But you're too young to know that, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I am so sorry for the long list, and I'm so sorry if I got any of these serial numbers meaning reference numbers wrong. What are your opinions on those and which one do you think is a better option? One question that I have has to do with the wait list of Rolex sports models. I went to the dealer and I ended up putting my name on the waiting list for the bad girl. Do you think they'll actually put my name on a list or did they do that just to make them look nice? Pedro, you know my answer. You buy what you like first and foremost. If I had to choose from everything that you put on there, my choices would boil down to the Rolex Explorer, Polar Dial, and the Omega Speedmaster. Those are the two watches I would probably end up choosing and ultimately I would probably go with Rolex because again, at a young age, this would be a significant investment and even though I say watches are not investment, Rolex is usually your best bet in terms of value retention. If you're surprised that I didn't choose a Submariner, I feel like the sub has just become so cliche. They are everywhere. If I were to go with the sub, I would go with, the, with a vintage sub, like the single red that I wear from time to time. Speaking of which, I'm not wearing anything today, guys, so no wrist check. Good Lord, I'm naked. Adrian took the watch off my wrist. But anyway, as far as waiting list, uh, you're probably right. It's a 50-50, right? They either did put your name on a list just to act nice or didn't put your name on a list at all, but just to make you go away. I don't think we have anything for you. You're obviously in the wrong place. Please leave. It's very difficult to start up in a relationship with ADs to a point where you're going to get these hot pieces. So, you know, the answer, the real answer is I don't really know. It could go one way or the other. But I, what I will tell you, I'll give you a little bit of preview. Uh, if you guys have been catching my series of watches and whiskey, the next watches and whiskey, we're actually going to interview a Rolex authorized dealer. And those are the very questions that we're going to be asking him. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be pretty exciting. Of course, you're not going to see his face or hear his voice for obvious reasons. But nevertheless, we will have a real Rolex AD who's going to be answering all those questions completely unbiased because he'll be completely anonymous. So stay tuned. Next one comes from Danny, and Danny writes, Roman, Happy New Year. I enjoy your YouTube channel immensely, and I always learn a lot about watches and the watch market. Thank you. I'm a patient collector, and over the last several years, I've tried to buy a Samaritan date or no date from local ADs in Washington, D.C. area, and always come away empty-handed. Now I'm thinking about the Grand Seiko Diver with Spring Dive. The Grand Seiko comes in either steel or titanium. Uh, it's about $1,000, $2,000 less than the Royal Samaritan date model. Does the Grand Seiko hold its value like the Samaritan does? Or do they depreciate like cars? Do you think the Grand Seiko is an expensive quartz watch or is it the spring drive technology that make Grand Seiko a high-end watch prized by a collector? Hope you can help me weigh in the pros and the cons of Grand Seiko and help me avoid making an expensive mistake. What you really want is a Submariner. And what you're looking for is alternative to something because you can't get it. So right off the bat, I'm going to tell you that for you personally, that sub is going to be a better choice than the Grand Seiko or anything else that's under there. There's nothing out there that has value retention like Rolex overall as a brand, right? There's going to be certain pieces, and maybe the Grand Seiko is it, out of lineups of 
other brands that may hold similar value to the brand overall. But overall, Rolex is always going to hold the best value. Listen, historically speaking, look at the prices. It just does. It is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. Do I think it's an expensive quartz watch? No. Uh, do I think that the Spring Drive technology makes Grand Seiko a high-end watch prized by collectors? Absolutely. There are so many collectors out there that will take a Grand Seiko over a sub all day, every day. They won't even look in a Rolex's direction, and they think that their Grand Seikos are much better than that of a Submariner. I had a client call me today, you know who you are, about the new Grand Seiko that just came out, the 40th anniversary. He's dying to get that watch. And if I put in front of him a steel sub with that Grand Seiko, he's going to go for that Grand Seiko because that's what he likes. Are you really that fond of the Grand Seiko? Or is it really just an alternative to a Submariner? If that's the case, then you should forget the Grand Seiko. Either wait on the list or bite the bullet, pay the premium, and buy the Rolex Submariner. And one last thing I'll tell you, as far as avoiding making an expensive mistake, don't ever look at that that way. Because once again, as I always say, these things are expensive toys. They're not investments. It's not a mistake. It's expensive, true, but it's never a mistake. Because you buy something that you're going to put on your wrist that's going to bring you joy for a long, long time, unless it's something that you're selling for. See what I did there? Danny, I hope that helps a little bit. Next question from a gentleman by the name of Saba. He writes, Dear Roman, I'll start by saying that I'm a big fan, love your content, you're the best. Thank you. Uh, could you please give information and clarify the statement that RM001 was the first watch that displayed Turbion on the front? Or is it simply just a rumor that I've heard? Because I could not find anything proven this. Also, it would be very interesting personally for me to hear more and see but Batillion, Batillion watches. I probably mangled that name. Hearing uh, market feedback and maybe even seeing a legacy machine of Thunderdome next to Carrie's watches. Thanks beforehand. Happy New Year. Wish you all the great health and success in 2021. Saba, thank you very much. First, in regards to Batillion watches, I um, can't tell you anything. Never had one, never sold one, never seen one, never physically handled one. Uh, I do know a little bit about the watchmaker. He's finished. He started watchmaking in Finland, moved to Switzerland, uh, went to school, completed the WOPEF course in high-end watchmaking. Then he was spotted by Parmesan Art de Temps, restoring really, really high complex watches. So this guy certainly is experienced in some of the most complicated watches in the world. And then he went on to create his own brand. And then he went back and actually taught the WOPEF course, sharing his knowledge with young watchmakers and passing the knowledge on it, as it's always been for generations to come. But as far as his watches are concerned, just by looking at his website, and his website is not exactly uh, that high speed. You can't even zoom in on these images. What's going on here? I mean, they look cool from far, as I can say. But again, without having to have handled this watch is very tough to say. I can go off of the fact of some of the complications that I see on here. I see, I see a lot of inner repeaters. I see a turbine board chronometer. I see uh, monopusher chronographs. I see observatory watches. So I, I do see quite a lot of complex pieces on here, turbines, etc. So obviously this guy knows what he's doing. He's making some pretty complicated timepieces. If I do come across one of these, I certainly will uh, get it on the What's On My Desk series and look at it in detail and, and give you feedback that way. As far as the RM001 being the first front displaying turbion, absolutely not true. I think I have watches that are older than the RM001 in my safe where the turbion is in the front. Go look at turbion watches in Corona 24 and anything that was below 2001, which is when the 001 came out and has a turbion in the front would be a turbion that was displayed. What I would be curious to know, which watch was the first turbion to display the turbion in front of the watch? And do we include pocket watches and that, etc. But maybe that's something I'll look up at a later time. But the 001 watch is actually a really, really cool watch. And I'm glad you asked about it because this is what got Richard Mule as the brand we know today off the ground. And the story is Basel 2001. 
they actually took the watch and they threw it on the ground relentlessly just to show how unique and how good uh, Richard Mille's movements were. They weren't afraid of shock, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure that set precedences for Turbians like Rafael Nadal Turbians that he played tennises that withstood a ridiculous amount of force every time he would wear the watch and play tennis. But this is the very watch that allowed Richard Mille to put his foot in the door and become what he is today. A very, very, very short 20 years later. He's really the only company I can think of that did that. I mean, it, it, some companies have been around for 100 plus years and still haven't achieved. The popularity, the complications, and things of that nature that Richard Mule has achieved till today. And hence in point, his pieces are selling like hotcakes for ridiculous amounts of money. But uh, yeah, that's the RM001. Hope I shed a little bit of light into your question. Here's a question from Greg. First of all, love your channel, along with Tim Mosso. You are my go-to guys for my watch education and enjoyment. Oddly enough, I sometimes find myself watching his videos as well for reference when it comes to nuts and bolts and certain watches. There's plenty of watches out there, contrary to all belief, that I have not handled. And sometimes I get questions from clients that want, it, that want my opinion about a particular watch. If I haven't sold it or don't have a whole lot of experience with it, I think Tim is a great resource to really understand how a particular watch works. Yes, I, off the top of my head, I can certainly tell you how any, pretty much any watch works out there, but sometimes I just need to know a little bit of nooks and crannies, especially with some of the independent stuff, and I'll go to his channel as well. So further, I can't wait to see what you will bring in 2021. I'm a huge Rolex fanboy, and I have been since I got my first stainless steel OP dial for my 13th birthday. I got a two-tone Datejust from my grandpa for my college graduation, which I have since passed on to my son when he graduated from college. That's awesome, by the way. Since that point, I have made my own purchase at just 41 with a Wimbledon dial, a fluted bezel, and a two-tone Submariner in 2018. I'm absolutely in love with the stainless steel Daytona with the Panda dial, but I can't reconcile the ridiculous prices they're fetching. Can you recommend three alternatives to the stainless steel Daytona on a bracelet no larger than 41 millimeters? I have a relatively small wrist, and the answer is absolutely not. There's only one Rolex Daytona. There can be only one. My first answer to you is going to be that, listen, if this is what you really want, again, don't go seeking alternatives, much like I answered the question to the gentleman in regards to Grand Seiko versus the sub. Bite the bullet and pay the price, and don't look at the retail price of the Daytona. It's very difficult to buy a Daytona. Well, nowadays, it's very difficult to buy any steel Rolex really out there. Go back as far as you can remember. Do you ever remember the stainless steel Daytona brand used for selling for listed under, unless you have a relationship with a dealer and somebody actually sold them? For the most part, they always sold over list and they always will sell over list. So consider the market price rather than the retail price and then ask yourself a question, are you willing to spend that price and treat it the same as the MSRP price? Because that really is the retail price. It's not the MSRP of manufacturer's suggested retail price. And notice manufacturer MSRP has the word suggested in it, right? That's irrelevant to watches, obviously but kind of relevant if you think about it, right? Because at the end of the day, retail price is not the MSRP. Retail price equals market price today, especially when it comes to the hottest selling watch model in the world for a long, long time. You see what I'm saying? But alternatives that I see other clients jumping to if they don't want to spend the monies on this. I mean, I can tell you a lot of my clients have gone to a, an Omega Seamaster, right, for a chronograph, a, a Tech Hoyer chronograph an IWC chronograph, right? Uh, specifically a chronograph functionality. Obviously the alternative is going to be another sporty chronograph in the size that you're looking to get. And then sky is really the limit. It's a question of what you like and what you want to spend. So my suggestion is you set a budget. If you're not willing to spend $26,000, $27,000 
on a brand new Daytona of what it's fetching, perhaps you're willing to spend a little less on a pre-owned one. Or perhaps your budget is X, Y, Z. So set that budget in place and then it opens up all kinds of opportunities because I can't think of a brand out there in, which, in whose lineup you won't find a chronograph, a sporty chronograph on a stainless steel bracelet. Last but not least, you might find yourself saying, you know what, I found a pre-owned Daytona for $26,000. Let's call it $25,000, right? And uh, I'm only willing to spell 20. And you look at all the time and say, you know what, I would much rather spend the extra five grand and end up with the watch that I want. So don't be surprised if that happens. Hope this helps. I'm gonna finish the show off with a question from Hank that writes, good afternoon, Roman. First, I would like to thank you for your video content and your refreshing and direct approach to the watch business. I always enjoy your insights into the market. Thank you. Uh, I wonder if you would consider putting out a video of top five watch collection as if they were the only watches you would own and include a dress watch, a daily beater, a sports watch, a vintage watch, and a flashy complicated piece. The amount of money is not an issue, but it is more to see what you would collect and own to fill these spots if, if they were going to be the only watches you would own and as a result resale value doesn't come into play. This is purely a buy what you like exercise. I know you're a fan of AP, so I'll be interested to see what your thoughts would be in this collection. Wow, that's extremely tough. When people ask me questions such as these, it becomes a numbers game. And let me explain, I know it sounds weird. The numbers game to me is the fact that I've seen such a number of watches over such a vast period of time. The watches I have seen in the beginning of my career are now vintage and collectibles. Watches that were super, super hot 20, 15 years ago are dogs now and that I have disliked over time, right? They've kind of gone out of fashion and things of that nature, right? So it's very difficult for me to say, oh, well, this is what I want. My, my simple answer to you is I cannot answer that question because I want to have the option to change my watches out as I see fit. But if I absolutely had to, as of today, and this may change five years from now, and this would have been different 10 years ago, right? Because I haven't seen as much 10 years ago as I have seen today. But as of today, as far as a dress watch is concerned, the ultimate dress watch would be my ultimate grail watch, which is this Paddock Skymon Turbion 5002, the older version, right? Not the new and gray one, I'm not too fond of that one. That would be my ultimate dress watch. As far as my daily beater, it's always going to be my Rolex Submariner Single Red, the very, you know, which is the first semi-vintage watch I bought a while back, which is not really, really vintage, because I just happen to love that watch, and it's extremely comfortable. It's the older sub, it's much lighter, the bracelet is a lot flimsier, it's not as heavy on the wrist, it's just a comfortable daily beater, and it can take a beating. It's a watch that's as old as me, that I take everywhere, and it continues taking a beating. I don't remember the last time I serviced the damn thing. As far as a sports watch, today I'm gonna go with a Richard Meal. He would either be the Baba Watson, limited edition, the gray one, the one they made for the French boutique, they made 50 pieces of them. I really like that, again, comfort level, versatility level as far as doing things with this watch. I think the Baba Watson would probably be the one choice. And then I would go with the Rafael Nadal Turbion as well for a sports watch. Although in the beginning, I wasn't really a fan of the latest Rafael Nadal uh, Turbion, the 2704 that looks like a tennis racket. But that watch has slowly but surely grown on me, so I might actually even go that route as well. Uh, and a flashy, complicated piece. Well, now, those are actually two different things, right? Because my Skyman Turbion would be that complicated piece, right? But it, if I s separate those into two, when it comes to flashy watches, it would be a diamond watch. And the ultimate diamond watch for me would be the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak Offshore Full Baguettes Bracelet and Head. I missed out on a vintage watch. The vintage watch would be the Audemars Piguet 5402 A-Serial that you guys have seen me wear from time to time. And that's the watch that started the entire Rolex movement. Heads off to Gerald Gent there. Next year is going to be the 50th anniversary of the Royal Oak. 
I'd be curious to see what they come out with. Whatever it's going to be is going to sell over way over list. I'm I'm pretty damn sure. So go back, Vintage Watch 5402. Hope that kind of answers it. But again, if you, I think if you ask me the same question five years from now, it might change. You know, some things will stay the same, but some things might change. And it's just extremely, extremely difficult to do this. And you guys as watch collectors, I'm sure, can relate to what I'm saying. And the reason for that is because you too are out there buying, selling, trading, changing, collecting, adding to collection, removing from collection for the very reasons I'm having trouble answering this particular question. I feel like it's still a question that can only be asked as of today because tomorrow it can change and in the past it would have been different. Hope that sheds a little bit of light into your question. And guys, I appreciate you sticking around this Tuesday. As always, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button if you're not a subscriber to my channel. Uh, share this content with those that you think may enjoy it because this is what helps my channel grow organically. Other than that, guys, I'll see you next Tuesday.